Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. I was hoping that my first broadcast would be of me traveling somewhere, but unfortunately, I'm here at home to report instead about Italy's new lockdown measures. Starting today, March 15th, half of the entire country has been classified in the highest red zone, while the rest is somewhere in orange, except for the lucky people on the island of Sardinia who are in an enviable white zone. Yesterday, I got an Instagram memory that showed my video from last year of people in my neighborhood on their balconies clapping for healthcare workers. And it seemed like a dream. We were all so scared, but also caught up in the novelty of it. What's happening? How long will this last? In fact, exactly one year ago, I wrote the following, quote, hello from the pandemic. It's day eight of lockdown. And I decided to start keeping a lockdown diary not only for posterity, but also because this is starting to wear me down. And I realize we have two more weeks to go. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so what is going on now? Well, the cases are rising at an alarming rate here, with tests revealing 70% of cases are the new British variant. As of this weekend, there have been over 3 million COVID cases in Italy with just over 100,000 deaths. This is out of a population of about 60 million. Tuscany has seen almost 5,000 deaths and we're reporting around 1,300 new cases per day. So the whole country is a patchwork of color coding. Rome is now red, Tuscany is orange, but with pockets of red. So Florence is orange, for example, while the neighboring city of Prato is red. In both cases, we're not allowed to leave our city limits and restaurants are open for takeout only. And of course, there's a strict mask mandate nationwide. And in order to preempt a potential spike over Easter, one of the biggest holidays over here, the entire nation will go red for Easter weekend. So nobody is happy to have to go back into lockdown again. But the key difference between now and last March is that at least now we're allowed to go outside for exercise. A year ago, we were only allowed to walk within a few hundred meters of our house, and police cars drove around the neighborhood issuing 400 euro fines if they caught you away from home. I'd never experienced that before. A climate of fear, fear of police surveillance, fear of your own neighbors. They were dubbed the Sheriffe dei Balconi, balcony sheriffs, with the nosy neighbor shaking her fist at you and yelling down, what part of stay home don't you understand? I remember seeing footage of drones flying over the banks of the Arno River to spot anyone jogging in secret. And if they saw someone, they'd send a motorcycle policeman down to halt the illegal activity. Now, at least in the orange zones, we're allowed to go out and exercise, as long as it's within the city limits. But I heard yesterday that in the big park here, the Cascine, they had police patrolling in cars on horseback, and they even had plainclothes policemen walking among us to make sure we were all obeying the law. So uh, we're still all pretty spooked. For the most part, people are obedient and try to do their best. But of course, there are plenty of scoff laws. Um, for a lot of us, the shock of last year's harsh lockdown has led to a heightened appreciation of nature. The other day I was talking to some new friends and eventually we all started relating our coping mechanisms for trying to get outside. I'd put on my backpack and pretend I was walking to the supermarket, but instead found a way to duck into a section of woods where I could sit on the trunk of a big oak tree and listen to the birds. 
Another friend who lives in one of the old buildings in the city center didn't have a balcony and only had one hour of direct sunlight per day. She and her two cats would wait for it every day and then go bask in it until it passed. Another friend said she used to don different hats and glasses and sneak around pretending to be throwing away her recycling. So in a way, it's really amazing to see how low the bar has been set now for us. Restaurants closed, masks, distancing, who cares? I just want to be able to leave my house. As for vaccines, it's pretty much a disaster. So far, Italy has only vaccinated about 7% of its population, which is much lower than the U.S. and in the U.K. They started with the essential workers, and now they've moved on to the over 90 population. This is due mainly to a botched rollout by the drug companies who promised us many more doses than they could deliver. I went to the Italian health website last week to see what the situation was and read that the country should expect to have 70% of the population covered by May 2022. <laughs> but that same day, the EU approved the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So now the new estimate is 80% of the population by this coming September. But obviously, nobody knows. So the mood over here is pretty glum. <laughs> and I read a recent article about this very thing in Britain's The Guardian newspaper, which opens with the sentence, quote, after a year of death and solitude, Italy is a sober, serious place, unquote. Well, this may be true. I am an optimist and I always try to see a silver lining where possible. This year has brought devastation. It's true, but it has also brought moments of solidarity of calm, and to me personally, a stillness that has allowed me to really see and appreciate the beauty around me. I think it's made all of us see our lives in a different way, and hopefully this change will lead to a better world to come. We've already seen some positive changes here in Florence, and I'll get to those in a minute. But first, here are some economic statistics that I got from an article in the Corriere della Sera newspaper. So Italy's GDP fell last year by almost 9%, and we're not expecting a full recovery until probably 2023. Unemployment is officially at 9%, but that's basically an artificial number, given that government measures in place are preventing anyone from being fired. An astounding one in three Italian contract workers are being covered by the Casa Integrazione, a fund that pays a portion of a worker's salary when the employer can't and would be otherwise forced to fire their employees. The Casa in 2020 spent a whopping 20 times more than in a normal year and paid some 4 billion euros to 7 million workers, of which I am one. So basically, these workers aren't fired, but they're not allowed to work either. So it's obviously just a Band-Aid and leaves the workers with no agency. The worst hit were young people and women. Of the 450,000 jobs that were lost last year, 70% were held by women, since they make up, make up most of the service and hospitality industries. It's estimated that almost 300,000 small businesses are at serious risk of going under. And the Bank of Italy is anticipating 2,800 bankruptcies in the coming year, with another 3,700 to follow once the government pulls the plug on their life support. And once the CASA stops protecting those 7 million workers, we can expect to lose over a million jobs. Mine, perhaps one of them. In short, the situation is not looking good. 
One bright side in all of this is that savings went up from 9 to 16%. So hopefully when the world gets back to normal, people will have more money to put back into the economy. As for spending, travel was badly hit and was down 63%. Hotels and leisure activities lost almost 50%. And not surprisingly, tour operators and travel agencies were hurt the worst with a drop of 73%. And across the globe, it is estimated that between 100 and 120 million tourism jobs are gone or at risk. So in my personal case, I took a direct hit, uh, hence the podcast. Okay, so enough doom and gloom. Let's talk about what good might come of all of this. As you all know, the boom in global tourism was starting to crush many of the world's most beautiful destinations. Cities like Venice, Florence, Dubrovnik, and Barcelona, just to name a few, were being overrun by tourists. And once off-the-beaten-track destinations like the Cinque Terre were almost unbearable for the massive crowds. So this respite from the tour buses, the cruise ships, and selfie sticks has meant that a lot of communities have been able to reevaluate the way they would like to run things. Florence, for example, had only 5 million visitors last year, compared to 15 million in 2019. In the absence of the constant crowds, we've repaved potholed streets, added electric trams, planted 2,000 new trees, and expanded the city's bike paths so people can have a greener commute. The city also saw a 20% reduction of greenhouse gases, and there are ambitious plans to reduce even more in the future. In fact, Florence had already been designated a smart city as part of a European push to improve energy efficiency, sustainable mobility, and technological services. It's one of three cities involved in a project called Replicate, along with San Sebastian in Spain and Bristol in the UK. Their aim is to, quote, increase the quality of life for citizens across Europe by demonstrating the impact of innovative technologies, unquote. You can read more specifically about the Florence Project and a link that I'll put in my blog. The pandemic also led to a huge increase in people working from home, which the Italians call smart working, and that is up a massive 82%. This in turn has led to an increase in online activity, which gave a much needed boost to Italy's engagement with the digital world. Florence, in fact, was just ranked the number one digital city in Italy, with more online access to public services, apps for public utilities, more public Wi-Fi networks, and smart technologies. It'll take a while before this technology reaches the entire country, but it's still a step in the right direction. One thing that the pandemic has made exceedingly clear is that a city cannot rely on tourism alone. In fact, tourism accounts for only 10% of Florence's GDP, and yet almost the entire city center is devoted to it, from hotels to restaurants to souvenir shops. In recent years, the city's population has actually dropped as tens of thousands of Florentines have left because it's too expensive, too crowded, or just too difficult to get around. This has happened in cities throughout Europe, leaving historical centers mere shells of what they used to be with family homes being subdivided and transformed into B&Bs and student housing. Hardware stores have given way to souvenir shops and fresh pasta places have turned into fast food joints. So there is tremendous interest now in making the city center less tourism dependent and more of a real home for local residents. There's also a push to encourage young artisans to practice their craft and open workshops and for businesses to rely on local industries. Dolce and Gabbana, for example, both of whom are from Florence, staged a fashion show in the city last September whose theme was Rinascita, or Renaissance. Renaissance means rebirth in French. 
they have a factory 25 kilometers south of Florence that employs 400 people. And they work with 38 regional artisans. So they provide a welcome boost to local manufacturing. There's also a big push to encourage people to support the Made in Italy label. And in this case, Made in Tuscany. Another amazing project that I just heard about are the innovative ideas coming from the head of the Uffizi Gallery, Eike Schmidt. They're planning to take some of the overflow from the Uffizi's collection and show them in museums throughout Tuscany. This will help relieve the crush of tourists in Florence and help spread the wealth to other communities. There's even a plan to create bicycle routes connecting these venues. Schmidt says, quote, we want to blend cultural tourism with nature tourism and athletic tourism. It is healthier and more fun and better for the earth, unquote. And in order to drum up more interest with the younger crowd, the Uffizi is now on TikTok. <laughs> you can find them at, at Uffizi Galleries. I'm not on TikTok, by the way. Uh, and this just in, I saw that uh, the Sunday Times of London just published an article yesterday called Forward Thinking Florence Enjoys a Mini Renaissance. Italy's most perfect city is gently moving with the times with renovated hotels, freshly unveiled treasures, and a renewed focus on the outdoors. The article is behind a paywall, so I can't read it, but I assume it's saying all the things that I just did. So after 25 years in the tourism business, I can honestly say that the boom in mass and crass tourism has been seriously disheartening. I'm of course glad that people want to travel, but if their main interest is taking a selfie and not really seeing the places they visit, it's not only a shame for them, but it's ruining the very places that everyone wants to see. So I, for one, would be very happy to see even a slight change in the way people travel. We need to slow down, have respect for the places we visit, and care more about the destination than about our Instagram stories. So does this mean we've seen the last of belching tour buses and the throngs of people pouring off cruise ships? I don't think so. It'll be hard to say no to that kind of money. But this is an amazing moment for cities like mine to hit the reset button and reevaluate their priorities. And finally, speaking of the Renaissance, some historians claim that it was precisely the devastation of the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages that led to the Renaissance. The exceedingly high death toll Estimates say half of the population of Europe died, led to a labor shortage, which then led to increased workers' leverage against the noble classes, who also suffered a heavy financial loss. This led to greater power among the guilds, a weakening of the feudal system, and a new interest in science and medicine. And just as with myself and my friends, it also sparked a new appreciation for nature and art, which blossomed into the artistic revolution of the Renaissance. So with that thought, I'm wondering what new renaissance might be awaiting us. Maybe a reevaluation of our relationship to nature. Maybe a greater appreciation of our friends and family. Maybe a change in the way we treat animals. I really hope something good comes out of the sacrifices we have all made this past year. And I'm ready to help create a more sustainable form of tourism once I can get back to work, which hopefully will be soon. Okay, so that's it for my first serious podcast. Uh, I'm sorry it had to be on a glum topic instead of a fun one, but uh, in the future, I promise to recite fewer statistics, but I just thought you'd be curious to know what was going on over here. So arrivederci e a presto. Bye-bye and see you soon.